You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Our guest on Preaching Source today is Dr. Jared Wellman. Uh, He began pastoring Tate Springs Baptist Church in 2017. Uh, He's married to Amanda. They have three girls, and uh, he holds a Bachelor of Arts and Master of Arts degree from Criswell College uh, here in Dallas and a Ph.D. uh, from South African Theological Seminary. And uh, we are delighted to have you with us here, Jared. Welcome to Preaching Source. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, We're going to be talking today about preaching and discipleship. And uh, one of the things that I've often heard from from pastors who seem to know uh, is that they believe the pastor ought to be the main disciple maker in in their church. Is that a statement you would agree with? And if so, why or why not? So I think that's a really good question. I think there's a lot of irony in that question because on one hand, uh, you would argue that absolutely, I think the pastor ought to be the main disciple maker. Um, but on the other hand, you can make an argument that that to that if you understand what discipleship is, then you would say that if he is the the primary or main disciple maker, that he ought to not be the primary or main disciple maker um, because he ought to be training other people to be the main disciple makers. But in at the same vein, if he's not the main one teaching other people to be the main ones, then it kind of falls apart. And so I think that the irony of that question is, yes, he ought to be, but I don't think that a pastor needs to wake up and kind of legalistically look um, and evaluate himself and, and think, okay, I need to make sure that I'm producing and, uh, and counting my disciples more than anyone else, and if I'm not, then I'm failing. I think uh, really what he ought to do is to think about, okay, am I doing the very best I can uh, producing and making disciples, and am I seeing results of that of other people who are making disciples who are making disciples? But I think that's the irony of it, um, is that he needs to be the main one in such a way where he's teaching other people to be the main ones as well. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it is the bane of every pastor's ministry that I know that uh, if there's something to be done in the church, there's going to be somebody who's going to think, if not say, well, that's the pastor's job to do that. So how, how do we combat that uh, mindset when it comes to discipleship, that it's the pastor's job? Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, um, you know, even, uh, even just this past Sunday, I was walking into the sanctuary to get ready to preach, and, and someone came up to me, and they said, hey, our soap dispenser is overflowing. You know, I'm thinking, okay, that's the last thing on my mind right now. You know, and, and that was, that was uh, very different. And so just pastoring various churches, there's, there are some times where I walk in and all those kinds of things are taken care of and I never worry about them. And then sometimes you come in and they're, and they're so used to going to the pasture for everything. You know, so if a toilet's overflowing, literally they'll say, hey, this, this toilet's not working and I'm about to walk up to the pulpit, you know. So when it comes to how you, how you combat that mindset, um, I think uh, I, would argue, I would answer that in three different ways. I would say there's got to be a philosophical shift, um, which leads to the second thing of how you, how you do that practically. But also I would answer that Christologically. So philosophically I would say that you have to, have a, you have to create a culture in your church um, where people own ministry. Um, where they don't think that they've hired the pastor to to do all the work and all the ministry for them, and then of course that, and and we do that at Tate Springs, but we 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 beat this drum all the time in our staff meetings. We say work yourself out of a job. If God were to ever call you 
and I say this about myself, if God were to ever call any of us anywhere, the church not, ought not to fall apart when we leave. You ought to have people who, who know what you're doing and who can pick up the pieces. So that's the philosophical shift. The second thing is how does that look? So um, I typically get called to very established churches, um, and a lot of times that comes with this mentality of, um, you know, the pastor does it all. And uh, when you come into that, you have to think, okay, how am I going to, if I were to come in a, and I were just to say, well, I'm not going to do all the hospital visits the last guy did, and I'm not going to do this the, the way the last guy did, that's going to be such a, a culture shock to them that it's not going to end well. And so you have to come in and you have to think practically, how am I going to do this? And I think Paul's, Paul's statement to be all things to all people is, is really helpful there, where you may have to do more things that you're uncomfortable with. You may have to, you have to meet people where they're at and lead them to those greener pastures. And when I say Christologically, what I mean by that is, is that that's what Jesus did with the disciples. Uh, his goal was to leave them. Uh, and this has been one of the most powerful thoughts of disciple-making I've, I've come across from, from the Bible as a pastor, is that when you look at what Jesus did, um, he, he told them, I'm leaving, you know, and they didn't understand that. Uh, but he poured into them and trained them so that they could carry on the mantle of, of his ministry uh, and you and I are having this conversation right now because of what he did all those years ago. And so uh, that's how I would that's how I would respond to that, and that's how I've done it in the churches I've had the opportunity to pastor. Yeah, Jared, as you were talking, it it just struck me. I I saw something I've not seen before. The at the Last Supper, the the Lord washed his disciples' feet because no one else would. Uh, and so he there was a time when he did a job that you know, he really shouldn't have been doing. It should have been someone else doing it. But he did it in order to teach them a lesson. But the three years of the Lord's ministry wasn't spent washing feet the whole time. So that's, uh, that's interesting. I, the, I, what I'm hearing from you is that you need to have some strategic balance and intention in, in what you're doing. Absolutely. So it's like if the soap dispenser is, is overflowing, <clears throat> my, my job isn't to say, well, that's not my job. My job is to say, let's go together, and let's look at it together, um, and then the, the following week to go to the deacons or whoever and to say, hey, listen, this happened on Sunday. Let's find a way to work on this together. And I think if you just outsource it and say, I'm above that, then that's not discipleship. Um, and so I think whether it's a toilet or soap dispenser or evangelism, I think that the pastor ought to be with the people um, or at least working with uh, fellow pastors on staff to do that. Well, that's a, that's a good description of a good model. Uh, how does the the pastor's preaching ministry uh, play into disciple making? Well, um, I think it's I think it's primary. Um, the Word of God has a lot to say about disciple making. Um, we promote discipleship opportunities from the pulpit. Um, I think it's very natural. Uh, it's peppered all throughout the Word of God. Um, what we what we try to do at Tate Springs is we find gaps and opportunities and services to always communicate the vision of the church, which is primarily the same as every church, whether you're in Texas or Africa, which is to make disciples. And so um, we, we, of course, have our own contextual way that we, that we talk about that. Um, but I think it's, it's preaching what the Word of God says, talking about what discipleship is, but at the end, having a kind of a call to action. Uh, and so the other day we we had a message on on life in the womb um, from Psalm 139, and at the end um, a discipleship related opportunity was hey we have a relationship with an Arlington pregnancy center 
And so uh, we would like you to, to go and volunteer um, and to, uh, you know, to go there and to talk to these, these women who are lost or who are struggling with their faith. And, and so it was, a, it was a call to action that kind of put, um, put that, that idea of discipleship into their minds in a way in the, that would work in the community. And we do that same in the church. Hmm. Uh, Jared, a, a good text-driven preacher is, is always wanting to focus on developing the, the message that's in the text that's before him and his people, and, and yet uh, uh, discipleship is a subject or a topic that, that we want to touch. How, how do you balance those between you know, preaching through a book, text-driven sermons, and also making sure that you talk about a, discipleship enough? So, um, so I, I preached through Ecclesiastes recently, and at the very end, uh, in chapter 12, verse 10, there's this verse that struck me, um, and it just kind of has hung with me ever since. And the verse says, the teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. And I love that because it shows this wonderful balance between the accurate truth and how it's actually practical. Because a lot of times we think, well, truth is just impractical. Like you get up there and you preach and, and you, you, you tell people the objectivity of, of what it is that's before you and you preach this expository sermon. It's very text-driven and uh, people don't know what to do with it. You know? But I think what the preacher is doing here in, in this book is he's telling us, I, I don't, and this is what's so beautiful about text-driven sermons is that is that they naturally are practical in the sense that if you're doing it right, you're not having to create delightful sayings. You're just finding them. And I think that's the key word there in verse 10. He says the teacher sought to find delightful sayings within truth. And a lot of times we think there's a disconnect between preaching a text-driven sermon and how that looks practically. We say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to preach this truth. It's going to be this. It's going to be it's, it's going to have all the I's dotted and the T's crossed, but now I have to kind of sit here and think about how I can make this applicable. And I think, I think that that's disconnected. I think that the Word of God naturally is applicable whenever it's preached correctly, and, uh, and I think that's what he says there. And so when it comes to discipleship, I really think that whenever you are doing text-driven uh, preaching, that you will see that there are delightful sayings, that there are uh, that there are practical implications that naturally rise out from the text that we can give to our people for what it means to be a disciple maker. Um, and so especially as you look, I mean, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, I mean, it's all over the place. He, uh, his books about Timothy and Titus, I mean, he, he's not only writing books that have information about discipleship, he's actually doing discipleship while he's talking about it. Uh, and so you can't get away from it. So if you're preaching the Word of God the way you ought to. It's just naturally going to be there. It's low-hanging fruit, I would say. What are some of the most fruitful uh, discipleship processes that you've implemented at Tate Springs Church? So we, I've only been there for about a year and a half, and so we are, um, and, and what we've done is we have developed a vision. Uh, what we did is we looked at Matthew 28, and so as far as the most fruitful, um, I would just say that the very first thing we did is I, I did a great commission study to kind of set the stage for what it is, why, why we exist, uh, and then we, we kind of created a, a vision that, that reached uh, the demographics of Southwest Arlington. Um, and really the last year has been about building a leadership team to, to really fund that vision. 
Uh, we just had a, a staff retreat about a month ago where now 2019, the whole idea is to have a very clear discipleship process that when someone, well, we, what we have right now is kind of a, a train track where someone who is not a member because maybe they're new in the community or lost, and we have a process about getting them uh, into our economy, either through some evangelistic strategy, maybe a fall festival. Uh, we have a school that reaches um, a few hundred students uh, in, in the area. And so what it, however they become part of the economy of Tate Springs, we get them in that system, um, and then we, we try to get them into a service. Once they come to a service, um, we now try to move them through a process to get them to come to a, a new member class or a new member workshop, um, which surprisingly has been very controversial. Um, I think I've had more pushback about a new member class, which I thought that was pretty normal. Um, but we, uh, we have that. And once they come to that, after some other steps, then we uh, really invite them to join. Um, and once they've joined, now we have this idea of where we want them to be. And so our goal is to know where every single member is on this kind of diamond or this, uh, this schematic, if you will. And so for us, we want them to attend worship. Um, we want them to join a small group. Uh, we want them to participate in weekly programs. We want them to do outreach. And then we want them to multiply themselves in some kind of leadership capacity. Uh, and, and so we look at them as uh, find out where they're at. Are they a new Christian or they, are, are they an you know, Christian for a long time who moved into the community, and really our goal is to, to try to get them through this process where they are growing and maturing in Christ. And so uh, we're right on the front end of implementing that um, at the church, and, and so uh, hopefully we'll see some fruit from that. But I think I would say if, if there's a pastor listening and they're thinking to themselves, how can I, how can I make sure that, that we're seeing the fruit of discipleship? I really just think having a clear process where you say, okay, this is where we found them, this is what we want them to look like. If we're going to produce disciples, what do we want that disciple to look like? Well, we want them ultimately to pr be producing themselves or producing Jesus in people, and then how do we get them to do that? I think if you have a process, then I think it's going to be fruitful. Uh, Jared, you, uh, you used the term, uh, you spoke of assimilating people into the economy of Tate Springs. That's an, that's an unusual term uh, in a church context. Why, why economy? Is there some special significance that you guys attach to that? No, it was ju it's just uh, more the word that popped in my mind at the okay. time, but I would think it's more of the, uh, the community, more of the, uh, the ecosystem, okay. um, just well, the Well, we think of, of systems. You yeah. know, an, an, an economy is a system where things work together yeah. for uh, I, I like the term. Oh, good. I, I, I'm glad. Well, I'm so, going to put that down. That <laughs> yeah. it, it may have just popped into your head. That's great, what I, great I, I want to still. I want to think through. Um, okay, you, you've said the, the pastor can't do one-on-one -on -one discipleship with everyone in the congregation, but how, how does he strategically identify those members that he ought to be doing the one-on-one discipleship? -on -one discipleship. Work. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so what I would encourage, what, what has been encouraged for me to do and what I encourage other people to do is to always know who your key leaders are. And so when I went to Tate Springs, I, I emailed a former pastor, uh, the interim pastor, and the chairman of the search team. And, and I said, hey, can you give me a list of 10 to 12 key leaders in the church? Um, and then I looked to see what, what similarities there were, and that kind of gave me an idea as to who... Um, who the key leaders are. We're a mid-sized church, and so there's no way uh, from even if it even if it was a, a smaller church, it's just impossible to meet with everybody. But 
the bigger the church is, the harder it is to pick and choose who you're going to pour into. And so I think you need to influence the influencers. Um, the way it's shaping out at Tate Springs is that I spend most of my time with our pastoral staff because they're the ones who, are, who have their hands in the engine of their respective ministries. And so our, I can't go to all the choir practices, but our worship pastor is. Uh, I can't be in the youth group meetings or the children's uh, programs, but our family pastor does. And so um, it's what I'm doing right now is making sure that I'm pouring into them through the staff meetings. It's not just a generic meeting, but we're actually reading books together. We're listening to podcasts together. Uh, we're, we're growing uh, together. And, and so I'll, I'll try to go to lunch with them every week and then uh, individually also reaching out to them if their family, if their spouse or kids are in the hospital. That's, that's where I, I spend most of my energy is with them and then with some other key leaders. But I think that's, uh, that's the key is for pastors to find out who those influencers are and to spend most time with them. So you're committee chairmans, your deacon chairmans, uh, your staff, um, and your Sunday school leaders, things like that. What resources would you recommend for pastors who, who want to learn more about disciple-making? So uh, the books that have been most impactful to me, um, Robert Coleman's The Master Plan of Evangelism uh, is a small— a classic. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a small book, but, man, it is powerful. And um, if you haven't read it, I would say— uh, to any reader who hasn't read it, pick it up today. But Greg Ogden's stuff has been really good, um, particularly Unfinished Business, uh, Returning the Ministry to God's People, um, which is uh, when I've taken a staff through that, it can be pretty shocking, you know, um, and, th and that's a whole other conversation about the nature of um, the call of ministry versus everyone's called the ministry. Um, but Transforming Discipleship, um, is really good, and then Discipleship Essentials is actually a book that you can use practically while you're doing discipleship, so it's a book that you can sit across from one another. But, but yeah, I, those are a few that come to mind and um, that we've used, and we've seen, we've seen them be pretty effective. Uh, we've been talking with Dr. Jared Wellman, uh, pastor of Tate Springs Baptist Church in Arlington, Texas, on the subject of preaching and discipleship. Uh, Jared, thanks for making the time to talk to our folks here at Preaching Source. Of course, yeah, it's been, a, it's been an honor.